Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George, joined with Anna, Scott, and Seth, and uh, it's a new year. Welcome back, everybody. We've been away for a while, and we're glad to be back and glad that you are back here listening with us. So uh, a new year, a new potential, endless, unexpected possibilities uh, ahead of us, and here we are again, uh, just on the path, the journey of transformation and talking about what it means to live more fully and awake and more healthy and joyfully. And today we want to talk to you about the idealized self. The idealized self is an inflated ego that flatters us with unmatched beauty, power, intelligence, saintliness, Honesty, fame, etc., things like that. And these kinds of things make us arrogant, which means to arrogate to oneself qualities that one does not have. And we all know people who think highly of themselves and maybe even more highly of themselves than we think they should. And maybe it's warranted. Uh, maybe there are people who are superior, more superior than everyone else. But the truth is we all have some aspect of what's called the idealized self image. And that's what we want to talk about today. So Scott, you say that the idealized self makes us addicted to outside affirmation and recognition. So set up this day for us, uh, this topic. Where, where do we begin? If I have projected on myself this idealized self that I believe that I am or I need, more of fact, I think it's who I need to be, then I don't have it. It means I don't have it. And I need to get the affirmation from others that I do have it, which sets it up to be a powerful attachment. And it's just, and again, I know it's not really mentioned here, but I think because I'm ashamed of who I really am, I don't have these qualities. I need to have these qualities so that you will approve me and the desires for you to love me, I'm going to have to try to project itself and I'm going to seek it from you. And it becomes a dependency. Mm. And and then that's, I think, going back to what Richard Rohr says, why we have such an epidemic of the false self in our this day and age. And I think this is an idealized image. Self is a fancy word for the false self. Because this is what I believe. I've come to believe that I'm just not enough as I really truly am. Mm. And so... These are the qualities that I need to get. And since I don't believe I have them, I got to get the affirmation from you guys that I do. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. So, Scott, um, the idealized self, could it be one of two things? Could it be what we think other people want us to be? So we, we play that role? Or can it also be who we hope to be? And yet we're not quite... We haven't quite arrived at that yet, or or maybe we're trying to be something that we're not. So it could be it, it could happen from both sides. But at the end of the day, it's it's living something that we're not fully uh, arrived at, or who we are, or we're trying to earn the admiration of other people. That honestly, we're you know we're getting it in a false way. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's like I really believe that if I have these qualities, if I had these qualities, then, then I would be acceptable and right and lovable mm. in your eyes. 
Um, and I think it's also very systemic of what our society says. This is what, you know, makes up great, lovable people. And it's just uh, becomes a, a vicious trap, really. I just don't believe I have these qualities. And so I'm going to have to somehow project them and be pretentious about it. And then if I get the affirmation from you, then I'll, phew, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count for, for another moment. So... We're talking about change that happens uh, inwardly first. That that's mm-hmm. what we're inviting people to do. And so the idealized, idealized self-image is actually holding us back from that kind of change that happens within. It's because we're just pursuing affirmation on the outside and not really changing inwardly. But in this day, you say we must let go of the idealized image. So let go of what people think of you. Whether it's real or imaginary, we can no longer remain addicted to the praise and approval of others. And Anna, you had a great example of this, which just an experience that you had of uh, the idealized self-image of a mother. Could you could you share that story with us? I'm, I'm so yeah. helpful. People can <clears throat> well, we can all I'll relate to that. Yeah, I'll be happy to. Yeah, I think you know all of us like scott said have an idea of what it is that we are supposed to be and that there is a certain role that we are to perform in order to be acceptable or lovable or uh, and that that looks different for everyone depending on your your conditioning um and so for me the conditioning that i received in my formative years in my young adulthood was that um in order to be a good woman that was very much wrapped up in the kind of mother that I am in order to be a good person. Um, And so I have invested so much of my life just pouring into my children and feeling like that, how, how I performed in that particular role was um, the sum total of my value, my Mm. worth, my goodness, not, necessarily taking into account all facets of who I am as a human, right? I am so much more than just a mom. I'm so much more than somebody who was just put here to serve my children, right? That's a very narrow and limited, I think, definition of of a total life. But that is the narrow definition that I was given um, and that I've been trying to live out. And, you know, in the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of personal growth and unpacking some of of just my own story and some of maybe the false messages that I have received and how, because of those messages, I've been living very much out of a false self. And some of you know that my oldest, uh, my oldest daughter has been struggling with some massive like health issues um, over the last few years, and her journey has not been easy. She's she's an adult. She's she's twenty, but she's still living at home under my care. And we've just been on a journey with surgeries and um, just a lot of. It's been challenging, right? Because I have three children, um, and I've had to travel with her to take care of her in that capacity, but. In the meantime, I also have had to leave my other kids, and I'm a single mom, so I don't have a whole, you know, that's, it's not easily done. And just recently, she had to go out of state for, an, for another surgery, and I was not able to, to go with her. And that was such a hard decision and boundary to set because, you know, that directly was um, my, my false self and my 
authentic self were kind of like at odds with each other, right? Because my my false self, my identity that I've built, my idealized image was saying, well, a good mom like sacrifices everything for her children. And if you don't go, what does that say about who you are as a, as a mother? And somebody stepped in and accompanied her um, and went. So she didn't have to go do this all alone. But, but this person that went doesn't know me, doesn't know my story, and really had some pretty judgmental ideas about me as a person and my decision not to go. And that was so hard because, like Scott was saying, how we we thrive on that affirmation of, of who we are in our false self, right, of our idealized image. And so when something comes up against that, like this person, like, clearly thought you are not a good mom. I don't know how in the world you could let your daughter go do this invasive, serious, it was a spinal surgery. It was a big deal, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't be there. And she had a lot of opinions about that. And just having to say, no, how I perform in this relationship is not a measure of who I am. That is a facet of who I am, but it is not my whole self. My whole self-worth is not grounded and rooted in how I perform at this one task in this one relationship, I am so much more than that. Um, and to be okay with that, to let somebody have their ideas about who I am, but be strong enough in myself to know I am grounded enough in who I am as a person. I know all the facets of who I am, that life is very complex, that they're not simple answers for things. And although it may look to one person like I'm not living up to their idealized image of what a mother should be that doesn't that doesn't um, detract at all from who I am or the fact that I actually I am a good mom I love my kids and I was loving my other children by making the choice to be home with them and not abandoning them again for another month so it's complex it's hard to break free of those long reinforced um, patterns and messages of who we are supposed to be. But it's so liberating when we finally can take baby steps in that direction. Wow, Anna, that's so helpful. And yeah, because like you are, your motherhood is uh, much bigger than just that particular moment. Or, you know, mm-hmm. how you're responding in this particular moment and even to other children. So, but uh, I know, Seth, you brought this up when Anna was sharing the story just about the difference between role and identity and not conflating mm-hmm. them. And sometimes, right, Anna, there are, because someone could say, oh, she's, yeah, she's not being a good mother because she's not being a mother. But the truth is, um, your role and your identity in this particular uh, moment um your motherhood involved more than just going with one daughter, right? So, And I'm so much more than just a mom. I, yeah. I am mm-hmm. an employee. <laughs> I am yeah. a friend. I am a daughter. I have lots of roles to fulfill and to put all of my eggs in that one single basket of motherhood to one of my three children is very short-sighted and very limiting. Yes. Yeah. Without... with. Uh, you're, I'm so with you, and I'm, I'm. It sounds like, um, you know, it, when you conflate the role and identity together, you don't have the capacity for making healthy boundaries, because then you just get to be mom all the time. When not mm-hmm. every situation requires mom that role to be played. Well, what, really what, good. yeah, what, what courage, and then to face that, 
with someone who sees it differently. Yeah. Wow. That's, Mm -hmm. but that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. Right. And you found some freedom in that and your, your daughter's fine. Yeah. She's doing great. She's home. She's recovering (laughs) so much better than I could have expected. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about identity because identity is not our success. Our identity is not our role. Like Anna's saying here, because sometimes our role is shifting from circumstance to circumstance or from relationship to relationship. It's not our body image. <laughs> it's not our intelligence. It's not our education. Our identity is something deeper and um, something that is not just influenced from the outside. But when our, when our inner value is non-existent, all our worth has to come from the outside. That's, that's what we're, we're inviting people to grow in here. And we're dependent upon what other people think. So Seth, when we were planning, you were talking about just uh, self efficacy and a healthy sense of self. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that, about how that helps free us from this idealized self? Yeah. Um, I, I think of that, um, that one quote from Carl Jung is something like, um, if you don't know who you are, the world will tell you. And so because we are so wired for um, connection and so we forsake um, our authenticity for staying connected with people because that's just how we survive, right? We need to be in relationship with folks um, to, to feel okay. But, but yeah, that, uh, that idea of a healthy sense of self is, is largely tied to our capacity for self-efficacy. So self-efficacy, just to put some, some wings to this, uh, a definition I saw was that it refers to an individual's belief in their capacity to execute behaviors necessary to mm. produce specific performance attainments. So it is, it is to me, it's largely about my capacity to do what I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to do and my capacity to pull off and, and manage and, and live the life that I want, you know? Where's the disconnect between um, the, the me I say that I am or want to be in the world and my inability to you know, act that way. That's self-efficacy. Um, and, I, and I think um, when this is, this is what reminded me of Scott's first book, Journey to Freedom, in that he talked about uh, intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, right? And to me, this is what we're talking about is when we are extrinsically motivated, we are then controlled by this idealized self, which will not, in the long run, allow us to have self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is entirely based in um, intrinsic motivation. So knowing who I am, having some clear um, view of my identity that is not based in the eyes of other people, but mm-hmm. that is based in you know what my intrinsic worth is. So yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm getting at your your question initially, but yeah, I'm just thinking about how our idealized self is basically like what we assume is how we will belong, and if we're not able to keep that up, right? That's we feel like we're not going to be able to belong in the world, and so that gets us into trouble. So, mm-hmm. but but it is not what is going to allow for self-efficacy. So yeah. our idealized self is so much formed by from the outside world around us, you know, with social media, with, you know, what people tell us is success or, you know, the way, the way we're supposed to look, the way our body image is supposed to be, um, the way we're supposed to be educated. And what's interesting to me is that how much we all kind of buy into 
that what comes from the outside is who we're spo- truly supposed to be. <laughs> it's so defined by those kinds of things. And so, yeah, this is this this definitely takes some effort and some work and some introspection and some looking at what motivates us, you know, to why are we seeking the affirmation we're seeking? Or how about this? Why do we want the things we want? Why do we want that kind of success? Is it something that really has come from within us or is it something that someone else, we saw someone else yeah. had and we think we want it? And then we spend, you know, a lot of energy and time pursuing that and then maybe ultimately discover, oh, that was just an idealized self image of success that I was pursuing. So, yeah, this is this is really good work to do here. And Scott, um, you talk about the underbelly of the idealized self is shame. Talk us a little bit about that. That's maybe that's a way of identifying um, what you know our true self or our false self. Which one are we living out of? Um, so if we could get to uh, the core of that, and we're, we're, it's shame that's motivating this, then that says a lot, right? For me, being really transparent, what has been the most motivational, influential force in my life, and it has been shame, not. Not grace, not hmm. not self love of my. It's as Seth was talking about. It's just I have been extrinsically driven my whole life, hmm. um, and it's fear. And I think that's people say, well, "What's at the heart of shame? What makes shame so detrimental to my life?" Is it's I mean, it's a fear based life, because um, what I'm afraid of is if I'm truly just me, I'm not enough. Hmm. And I've come to believe that. And that paradigm determines all of my responses in life. And uh, I do want to say that what Dr. Caroline Leaf wrote in her book about uh, affirmation, that if I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't have an internal intrinsic affirmation and I'm seeking validation and affirmation from others because I don't have it within, she says there's no, in, there's no integrity to it. Mm. And it. And it really makes the brain feel even more shame. Because I, I know that, gosh, I'm so far from what you think I am. Because if you really, really knew me, you would reject me because I reject myself. And that's what uh, Bradshaw says in Healing and Shame Reminds You, that at the core of toxic shame is self-rejection. Wow. And he says that's why, and the only antidote to that, he says, is we develop a false self. And he says that is the most fertile soil for all addictive behaviors to grow because it's just we're we're alone, and um, and so here I am in my sixties, and I'm just now coming to really love just me myself for who I am, and um, and I don't know if you guys would agree or not, but I think that if I, as I look at our society that I have grown up in and the influence it's had on my life, it's a society that it focuses all about doing, not being, and. So if I do these things, if I do this, if I be, then then you will think of me this way because I don't think of myself that way unless I am. And so just being me is sometimes a mystery. Who who am I? And here's God trying to tell me, you're my beloved child. I love you just as you are. I created you, and you're beautiful to me. You don't have to do all these things. You don't have to chase all these things. You don't have to mm. just just be. To be or not to be, that is a great question that Shakespeare said. I think that's one of the most profound statements. Scott, real, just quoted Shakespeare. 
<laughs> what Scott was saying reminded me of um, the three lies of identity from Henry Nouwen. They are, I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what others say of me. Wow. And, and he talks about um, the antidote to that um, being uh, stillness, silence, and solitude. Wow. You have to separate yeah. yourself from other people's opinions, you know, to really go inside, to go interior, and even find out if you are something other than what you have, what you do, and what other people say of you, um, which is a scary thing, which is why I think the, our world, these, the modern world these days, is so full of information. It's a massive distraction against stopping and slowing down and finding out if I am something other than, or something at all, you know, something with value or worth outside of what other people think of me. But you can't find out unless you stop, unless you slow down and you practice some solitude. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking about how this is um, some antidote, some some ways of, of helping some manage this. And it's so countercultural to the world that we live in, right? Because it's hustle, mm-hmm. hustle, hustle all the time. If you live here in the Nashville area, you know that the last week, we were shut down for the weather, right? Nobody left their homes for a week. And it it was so wonderful for maybe some of us that are maybe used to practicing some of that stillness and solitude. But I know it's very excruciating for people who are not used to that kind of practice. But we need to find ways to incorporate that stillness, that quiet, that solitude, or we will never have the opportunity to really go inside to search inward and to understand what it what it is at the core of us the core of us that that makes us who we are and unique and what drives us in both healthy and unhealthy ways and to all your points that Scott started us on with this is that um, there's this vicious cycle of pursuing what we think we want to hear from others by acting it out and then when we get the affirmation that we've made up in our minds that we think is going to be satisfying, it brings more shame. I mean, what an ugly cycle. And then, Seth, your questions, let's, let's just practice this right now. I know people may be driving, they may be sitting, they may be on a treadmill, they may be about ready to go to sleep or waking up in the morning. But read those three again, because and, and let's ask an honest question. How much of those are influenced by external forces and voices in our lives. Just read those again and just slowly. Yeah, I mean, you can ask the question, Is are, are these three true? I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what others say of me. All of those are extrinsic. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're none of them yeah. from within. And it's a hard reality to say is true about how we think. But the truth is, we mm-hmm. all know at the end of the day, to think like that is not very satisfying. Yeah. And the more we live from those places, the more cavernous from ourselves we we become. Because yeah. ultimately, those are things we don't have agency over. We only have agency over what's mm. within. Would it almost be better to acknowledge what we don't have, what we're not getting from others? that perhaps we don't need, that we might be able to find within ourselves. It's almost like we're so driven by pursuing those things that, Scott, you said something about despair. You said all despair, uh, or it was Kierkegaard, I think you quoted, that all despair is fundamentally despair of being yourself. Mm 
So there is this initial, when you have to go into the idealized self, there is, there's kind of some despair to face that in there because we don't really want to, we're rejecting being who we truly are. But then I love what you said, Dr. Leaf says, and this is what I, where I think is a good place to leave this. And Scott, if you could help us understand this, but let despair guide you to the self you need to birth. Yeah. Wow. It's actually, it's actually Greenspan. Oh, Greenspan. Okay. And I think just this perfect segue, George, into what you guys have been talking about is this despair I'm struggling with is the rejection of myself. Mm. You know, I, if I truly loved myself, if that if I could come home to that person and fall in love with that person, and allowing that despair of that dis, disintegration of that lead me to the birth of that self. And I think that's what we do in our groups, is mm-hmm. help people come home to that. And it's despair. Instead of running from the despair and running more towards the affirmation and the acceptance of the world and others and all of its attachments, we just we sit it like sis and we, we just be still in that despair and allow it to lead us to Scott, come on, come home and let's birth the self that you truly are. And um, so despair is as interesting as Greenspan says. It can either lead us as a gateway to healing and our, the hope of, of our true selves, or it can just push us further and further away into the darkness of, of the addiction to attachments and affirmation because I just don't have it. And the word that I kept coming to me was... Um, Again, what the, the Surgeon General under Obama, who wrote the book about the epidemic of loneliness, said mm-hmm. that he found that we were addicted to validation in relationships, mm. not true connection. So I just, in, in Brene Brown says that wherever you can find those groups where you can be, come home to your true self and you can let all that down, she says, sprint to them, find them, because that's where life is. And again, that's what Thompson, I think, is saying, that there's no greater need for all human beings than the experience of being fully known. Because if you fully know me and you say, hey, we love you, I get to make that transition. I love it. Put your hair down. Yes. Seth Abrams just took off his hat and his hair standing straight up. (laughs) 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 Uh, Scott, your your hair's not standing straight up. Uh, Scott does not have any hair and I have a lot less than Seth but Scott that is so wonderfully said and thank you Seth for um, relieving that tense moment because let's be honest looking honestly and more deeply at ourselves uh, can be tough Um, because we are so influenced by so many other things but Mm -hmm. Scott Anna and Seth what we're inviting people to is that this is truly the pathway towards transformation because we'll find something in that 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 grounds us that we can trust in that truly is the essence of who we are and who we're made to be and then affirmation even means that much more because it only affirms what we already know to be true we could build something off of that so friends uh this uh day ended with a story about god's hands and i just like to read this to you i think it's a great place to end this It's the hands of unconditional love. 
and these hands are described that they gently encircle a wounded bird as being hands that are also open to allow movement and freedom to fly. One hand says, I got you and I hold you safe because I love you and I'll never be apart from you. Don't be afraid. The other hand says, go, my child, find your way, make mistakes, learn, suffer, grow, and become who you need to be. Don't be afraid. You are free, and I am always near you. Mm-hmm. If we're inviting you, as Scott said, to let despair guide you to the self that needs to be birthed, just know you're not alone. There is a loving, unconditional love and force that is at work around you and in you, and there are... Uh, Places like Restore, small groups that you can connect to and find people to journey with that will help you grow in that. So uh, just know this, that over every mountain, there is a path and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. Hey, it's George. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Searching Inward podcast. If you've enjoyed listening or have benefited in any way from the podcast, we would love for you to come alongside and join us in the mission to bring hope and healing to the world. By considering becoming a monthly giver of even $5, you're making a huge impact in the ways we're able to serve. Please consider giving by going to restoresmallgroups.org backslash donate. Thanks.